My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Indigo Arscott. Indigo Arscott is a grade 11 student attending an arts-focused high school in Toronto. They are gender non-binary, they are Ojibwe of the Martin clan, and they are one of the instigators of the We the Students Do Not Consent Day of Action. On September 21st, students from schools across the province are invited to walk out of class or to take some other action as they are able to show their opposition to the new Ontario Conservative government's attacks on Indigenous-focused curriculum, on health curriculum that deals with sexual education, and on classrooms more generally. This is not R. Scott's first foray into grassroots political activism. About a year ago, as part of the very small amount of Indigenous content in their first high school history course, they learned something that they found striking. That Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, a figure that they had to that point been taught in school and popular culture to respect and revere, was one of the architects of the residential school system. The stark division between the place given to MacDonald in settler mythologies of Canada versus the incredible harm done to our Scots people by the residential school system sparked them to take action. That took the form of a petition to get all of the 14 schools in Canada that are named after MacDonald to be renamed, which they pursued persistently in person and online, though so far without success. R. Scott's first inkling that the current action might be necessary came on June 7, 2018, when the Ontario Conservatives, under the leadership of Doug Ford, won a provincial election, ending 15 years of Liberal rule. R. Scott described their immediate reaction to the Ford victory as, quote, terrified. They knew that this new government would do things, quote, that would harm people like me, that would harm my friends, that would harm essentially anybody in Ontario that isn't a wealthy cisgender heterosexual white man, end quote. Early policy moves by the government have decisively confirmed R. Scott's initial suspicion that harm is on the agenda. In a clear rejection of the spirit of truth and reconciliation, one decision by the new government was to cancel, at the last minute, a major initiative in which people rewriting curriculum would have met with Indigenous elders, knowledge keepers, and residential school survivors to inform their work. The new government also ordered schools not to teach the sex ed curriculum that had been instituted in 2015, which includes extensive attention to questions of consent and to the ways in which information technology shapes youth experiences today, along with a much greater openness to the experiences of LGBTQ people. Instead, they have been ordered to teach the curriculum written way back in 1998, which deals with none of those things in any depth. As someone who is both Indigenous and within the LGBTQ spectrum of identities, these changes, particularly in the context of the broader agenda being pursued by the Conservatives, made R. Scott feel the need to take action. Originally, their idea was to organize a walkout solely at their own school. R. Scott's mother, however, suggested that they should aim bigger, that they should put the idea out there on social media and see if students at other schools and in other parts of Ontario might be interested as well. The Facebook event page circulated quickly, and in no time the number of people expressing interest was in the thousands. 
R. Scott started getting emails and messages from students and parents expressing support and asking for advice. Though they are still very much in the process of learning themselves, R. Scott and their main co-organizer have produced brief, accessible how-to guides for both students and teachers, which are available online. On the day of action, in some places, there will be student walkouts. It's not yet clear how many. And in other places, students will be taking action in other ways. Some will be wearing purple to symbolize their opposition to the conservative attacks. Some will be holding film screenings, fundraisers, and discussions. R. Scott hopes that all of these things will show up prominently on social media, accompanied by the hashtag, We the Students Do Not Consent. I speak with R. Scott about the injustices the Ontario Conservatives are imposing on the province's students, and about what some of those students will be doing on September 21st, and in some cases on the surrounding days, as part of the We the Students Do Not Consent Day of Action. My name is Indigo R. Scott. I am a non-binary Ojibwe of the Martin clan from the Dish of One Spoon Territory, now known as Toronto. I started off the We Do Not Consent Day of Action as a way to get students empowered about what's happening in the education system at the hands of the Ford government. Talk about how you first started to get engaged with grassroots political issues. Just looking at everything going on around me and being in the public school system, because that's primarily what I focus on in the work that I do is education and being LGBT Indigenous person and looking at how people like myself and other marginalized people are treated. It made me want to say something and it made me want to do something about it because I know that it's going to be the young people that are going to have to say something. Education is so important in terms of changing other social issues. We have to start in the education system. So it started off with just like talking to my classmates and it went from there. From what I understand from your social media, an earlier focus of your activism was around Sir John A. Macdonald in schools. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to take that issue up. I was in history class last year in grade 10, around this time actually, and there was a student teacher in our class and she was talking about residential schools because they spent the whole three days on Indigenous history. And she was mentioning that Sir John A. Macdonald had started residential schools now I have a lot of background knowledge about residential schools, but that's a piece of information that had always been like kept from me, you know? I never thought about that. I never had realized that. And to grow up hearing all the time from people that were educators, people that had strong roles of leadership in my life telling me that this person was somebody that I should look up to, that he was some kind of nobleman, and that he has like a lasting legacy in the hearts of so many Canadians for some reason. I just, I had to say something about it. The first thing I thought about was all the schools named after him in Canada. There's a total of 14 in them. I don't know exactly in which provinces they're in, but I know there's one right around the school that I go to. Social media and the internet has made organizing or starting any kind of social cause a lot easier than it has been in the past. So the first thing I did was go on change.org and start a petition. And I spoke a lot about how I felt about this and why Sir Johnny McDonald isn't somebody that school children should be taught to look up to. And I started a petition for it. And then I opened the Decolonized Schools account on Twitter as a means of sharing that petition with people for the first, like, two months, maybe, of that account being open. All I was doing was tweeting people, can you please share this petition? When you talked about that issue with your classmates at school, what kind of conversations did you get into with them? It's very, like, hyperbolic because people's opinion 
for a long time, it felt like there was no ability for it to exist, like in a grayscale. It was either black or white. People were either super willing to be educated on these things and raise awareness because it's not that people don't want to talk about it. It's people don't know about it to talk about it. So I found that people were either really supportive and then joined me in sharing these opinions and sharing these ideas or people existed on the other side of things, which is, oh, he was such an important man in history. You know, he's always going to be somebody that I look up to, you know, like, shut up. But slowly, slowly, as things are changing, because I noticed things are speeding up in regards to truth and reconciliation, especially in regards to education. People are a lot more open-minded in learning about these things. And setting aside the question of Sir John A. Macdonald's role in starting them, what's your sense of how much your classmates know about the residential schools? It's not something that I talk a lot about with people my age outside of the classroom. So honestly, I had no idea. I was new to the school, you know. We don't learn history in grade nine. So when the teacher brought it up, a lot of people had no idea that it was even like a thing that existed. After we did talk about it, you know, there was people laughing about it. There was people crying about it. There was people that were angry about it. There was people saying, oh, is that why the Indians don't pay taxes? It was just really weird to see those kinds of reactions. What kind of responses did you get online to the petition that you were circulating? Online, I have to say it was mostly support, especially after people figured out that I was 16. People are really willing and happy to support young people looking to make social changes. But there's also a lot of hate comments that I received. It's been everything from people making fun of my name to people like sending me death threats. Well, you know, you just got to ignore that stuff. As you were doing that work, at, at some point along the road, the Ford government was elected in Ontario. What were your initial thoughts when that happened? I was terrified, honestly. Like, my reactions to that kind of aligned similarly with what my reactions were when Donald Trump got elected as president. My views and how I felt about things don't align with his whatsoever. I knew that he had ideas that would harm people, that would harm people like me, that would harm my friends, that would harm essentially anybody in Ontario that isn't a wealthy, cisgender, heterosexual white man. So I was afraid and I knew that days of action were going to have to come and I knew that people were going to have to speak up. These days, you know, sometimes things can get really tough and it can be really hard because when people such as Doug Ford, such as Donald Trump are elected, it gives people with bigoted opinions the feeling like they have the freedom to say these things. They have the freedom to have these actions against people. You know, people feel a lot more empowered in treating people badly. But on the same side of things, I feel like a lot of people get inspired and empowered to become leaders and empowered to enact social change. And young people especially are a lot more willing to learn and a lot more willing to take on these roles. So I felt kind of afraid, but I try to look at the bright side and feel as if a sense of hope is getting restored in my generation. And in terms of what you've noticed at school or what you've heard in the context of urban indigenous spaces in Toronto, has there been that kind of increase in, you know, people being more free with bigotry and hatred since the Ford election, in your opinion? Definitely. I think so. 100%. I haven't been following like all around Ontario, but I know especially in Toronto, there's been a lot of white supremacist rallies happening. These groups, they have existed, but they've sort of been like hidden. And now that leadership essentially supports them and supports their views, they feel a lot more capable of promoting this kind of 
I don't want to say agenda, but these kind of ideals and are comfortable showing their faces in public and all that. But even in school, you know, you notice a lot more people using gay as an insult. They read the Aboriginal Treaty, depending on what school and what territory you're in. In the morning announcements, you hear a lot more kids making fun of that and a lot more kids talking about how boring that is and how they wish they didn't have to stand and listen to it. So yeah, there's definitely been changes since he's got elected. From what I understand from some of the postings, at least two parts of your inspiration for the action that's happening on the 21st are the repeal of the health curriculum that deals with sex ed and the changes that the Ford government is making around Indigenous-related curriculum. Talk a little bit more about what those changes are. I'm going to start with changes related to the Indigenous side of things because that's what my knowledge lies in a bit more. The Wynn government had plans to bring in elders and knowledge keepers and residential school survivors and Indigenous leaders to hold sessions with people that were going to rewrite the curriculum. You know, things were going to happen. It wasn't like small steps. There wasn't a, here, let's have this tiny class discussion. Like, things were going to happen. Things were going to change. You know, people had canceled summer plans. People had taken leaves of absence from their day off. And, like, on the Friday before the Monday that it was supposed to happen, I believe, they released a statement saying, yeah, this isn't happening anymore. I know a lot of people felt really disrespected and people felt like they weren't good enough. Indigenous people were being deprioritized and swept aside yet again. And in terms of the sex ed curriculum, the last time I received any kind of education regarding that was in grade nine, and it was still not very inclusive. LGBT people were not often mentioned. I think I could probably count it on one hand how many times same-sex partners or anything like that was even mentioned. The people that are in school currently weren't even alive in 1988. You know, there's so many things that didn't exist then that do now. The way young people interact with sexuality and identity or the internet or drugs or anything like that is totally different than it would have been back then. So I think just overall, it's a really unsafe and a really irresponsible decision to revert the sex ed curriculum back to what it was. What kinds of things have you been hearing from your classmates about these issues? Is this something that a lot of students are aware of, these changes? I don't find that it's something that a lot of students are aware of. I find that people are either like really behind it or they're not following it at all. They just know that Doug Ford got elected. But once you have these kind of discussions with people, like I've been trying to bring it up to as many people my age or even my classmates as possible, but once you do tell them about it, you know, they want to learn more. They're following it every single day. They're coming up to me and telling me about the latest news. And people just need to be alerted about it. So in your experience as an Indigenous student, what would you say is lacking when it comes to how the existing curriculum incorporates Indigenous peoples and issues and knowledge? From when I was in grade one, let's say, to right now, I think a lot of change has happened. I think a lot more information has been added. I think a lot more truth has been added, but I don't think it's coming from the right places, essentially. Like, when I was taught history last year, we covered Indigenous history in three days, and it came from a non-Native student teacher who often had to Google things or often had to read directly from the textbook or expected Indigenous students in the class to have all the answers. And I feel like this does so much harm to Indigenous students because we feel as if we have to have all the answers. And if we don't, we're doing something wrong or we're failing people. I feel as if the Indigenous knowledge that 
is put into the curriculum needs to have both stories of tragedy that has happened across the world in regards to colonization and indigenous people, but also has to talk about the success and the magical and wonderful things that indigenous people have accomplished and the absolute strength of resisting colonialism, resisting genocide, and all of this. Because if we surround non-native students with only tragedy regarding their indigenous classmates, that's really going to affect how they view native people. Or if we surround indigenous students with only our tragedies, with only intergenerational trauma, then that's going to not only affect how we view the world around us, it's going to affect how we view ourselves because we learn to not expect much of ourselves except for unhappy things, except for negative things. So I think we need to see a healthy balance and we need to empower Indigenous students because often we have to find that empowerment within ourselves, which isn't healthy, which isn't a good thing at all. So tell me about your decision to make the move from being concerned about this to taking action. I never planned a walkout before, but I knew I wanted something that could happen in classrooms and was accessible for kids to do because I know a lot of young people become very weary and sometimes shy away from demonstrations or rallies or like road blockades or anything like that. And I thought something in the classroom would have a lot bigger of an impact as well. So I decided to start looking into a walkout. And it started just with organizing at my school. And then my mom suggested to me, why not make this something big? You know, why not try to get it to spread all across Ontario? So I made a Facebook page for it, like an event page, and posted some information, made some graphics and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, 2,000 people were interested in it. And I was getting messages and emails left and right asking, how can I participate? How can I organize something? I had never organized a walkout before, and now all of a sudden I'm giving people information and tips on how to plan one. I'm learning along right with them, going with the punches, you know? But then I was thinking that a walkout isn't easily available for everybody, and there's people that go to schools where they can't miss a half an hour, two hours, however long it is worth of class time. So then we came up with the idea to get people to wear purple and use the hashtag, we the students do not consent. There was people telling me that they're going to do that now. And then I have elementary school teachers even telling me they want to get their kids involved. So we're talking about screening movies and fundraisers and students leading discussions to younger students. Everything's kind of just like taken off right before my eyes. And I'm really happy that people are as engaged and as ready to make social change. Because a lot of the times you can feel really alone about it. You can feel like you're the only one that cares about that kind of stuff. But then to see hundreds of messages and outpour of support from other people my age, people older than me and people younger than me saying that they want to help and, you know, they want to stand with us in this. It really meant a lot to me. So focusing for a minute on the organizing specifically in your school, tell me a little bit about how that's gone and how you've gone about talking to people about it, drumming up support, that kind of thing. A lot of it's been social media based. I go to a really supportive school. So teachers have kind of been, like, not totally against it. Students have been totally down for it. I don't think I've gotten one person that says, no, I'm not going to help you out. And maybe it's just an excuse to skip class. I have no idea. But, you know, the more the merrier. It's led to a lot of political discussions, a lot of disagreements, a lot of agreements. A lot of it has been behind social media because we started planning this before school had even started. So social media was our main way to reach out to people. And what's going to happen during the walkout? The sense in my mind is that we're going to have at least a couple of speakers, even if it's just me. 
I go to a performing arts school and a visual arts school, so we are a very loud group of students. We are a very creative group of students as well, so I think silence, if anything, would sometimes be a lot more powerful than spoken words in our case. So maybe even just people bringing signs and people sitting down in silence and just thinking about everything that's going on and the impact that it might have on us would be something extremely powerful as well. And tell me more about the kinds of actions that other people in other places are planning on taking. I know that there are students in Guelph that are planning to have a walkout and marching to their city hall on the 21st. I was alerted of that today. That's pretty cool. A lot of schools are making their own pages with their own information about the walkout and posting about ideas that I've shared with them and information that I've shared with them and people are so supportive and people are saying they're so down and everyone's tagging their friends and you know you get the occasional person saying oh I'm not going to join your stupid game march you bunch of snowflakes but you know when the amount of support outweighs the hate by so much you can't do anything but just push it to the side and it's going to affect you it's going to kind of bother you it still bothers me sometimes but I always try to look at the bright side and know that there's a lot more people standing behind me and behind all the other young people with the other young people and with me that are looking to make these changes and are willing to give support than there are people that are going to try to tear it down. If, you know, a student were to approach you from a school in some other part of the province and say, I really think this is a great idea, but I don't really know much about it. What kinds of resources could you point them towards to learn more about the issues and to learn more about taking this kind of action? My friend Rain and I, she's one of the organizers of March for Education that happened a little while back at Queen's Park in Toronto. Her and I are making student guides and teacher guides in order to educate both educators and students on how to organize these things and what it means to take that step of leadership and how you have to communicate with your guardians and with the staff at your school in order to ensure that things can happen in the easiest way and safest way possible. We're going to be releasing those on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook today. We've also been putting together a couple graphics. Like I had a friend of mine put together a graphic for a list I make. I'll be calling schools checklist for organizing a walkout. And it's just five easy steps towards doing that. You can find the page my friend Rain and I co-own at Ontario Walkout 2018. You can find us on Instagram. You can find some information on March for Our Education social media accounts. Or you can find information on my social media accounts at Decolonize Ontario, Decolonize ONT on Instagram or Twitter, or Decolonize Canadian Schools on Facebook. Reach out to us, ask us any kind of questions. A lot of people that have the will to organize, especially young people, once they get the push or once they get a simple list of resources, they're going to want to take things into their own hands. They're going to want to put their own spit on it, which I find that a lot of people are doing, which is making me really happy. So how do you hope things play out on the 21st? My friend and I were joking about this and how our goal would be to get Ford himself to have to comment on something. We're hoping to have that much of an impact. I'm just hoping everything plays out smoothly. I hope people don't get in trouble because I feel like it would be my fault even if it's good trouble. I hope it teaches a lot of students that their voice does matter and they do have an impact. And I hope that the Ontario classrooms go purple is something that people think about and people talk about. I hope people use the hashtag so people even outside of Ontario can know about it. 
things don't always work out the way they're planned, but you know, you organize in hopes to have an impact or in hopes to inspire somebody younger or older than yourself to try to speak up for what they believe in. So I hope if we don't make any kind of impact, if only two schools end up doing it, if that I'm the only person that walks out of my school, somebody's listening and maybe we inspire them to try to make good trouble of their own. And in the process of organizing for the 21st, what are the key things that you've learned? Teamwork makes the dream work, you know, especially in organizing. I come from grassroots organizing. Everything that I learned until recently came from Indigenous community, came from elders, came from people that share very similar experiences with and very similar backgrounds and upbringings with. But now getting into these things and speaking to people that have different stories, have different experiences, share different identities, and planning these days of action with them. I'm seeing a lot of fresh ideas and different mindsets that I wouldn't have been exposed to had it. I didn't go forward in planning this day of action on the 21st. And it's taught a lot to me about collaboration because before this, I was kind of scared about working with non-native people just because I felt as if there would be... I don't want to say a clash, but I felt as if our upbringing and our outlooks onto what it means to organize for social change and what it means to stand up for what you would believe in would be so incredibly different. But I guess I've proved my irrational thoughts wrong. So as you're going through this activism, this process of getting into, uh, you use the phrase good trouble, which I really like. Are there any inspirations that you look to, either people or actions and movements from the past? Honestly, I could talk for hours about people that have inspired me, especially young people. I'm going to name Autumn Peltier as one of my biggest. I believe she's 13 or 14. I know she's younger than me. She's a water protector, and she faced the United Nations, I believe, at only the age of 12 years old and has such a powerful voice and is so strong in what she believes in, and she has such a strong energy about her. And when you listen to her talk, it's like nothing can tear her down. You know, she's untouchable. She carries the strength of her ancestors and her community and the water. And it's like, I hope to carry that same power when I speak. I hope to have such a clear vision on... What I'm doing, because I struggle with social anxiety and a number of other mental health issues, and I get down on myself a lot. So when I listen to people like Autumn Peltier talk, it inspires me to keep going. Or the youth across the world organizing in Black Lives Matter. Or more recently, the kids that organized March for Our Lives, Emma Gonzalez in particular. And there's a lot of problematic things that have gone on there, but I'm not going to speak about that. But the power that they had and the power to get so many people all across the world to pay attention to what they had to say. But I think in this generation, there's so many people that inspire me. Oh my God. You have been listening to my interview with Ontario High School student Indigo Arscott about the We the Students Do Not Consent Day of Action coming up on September 21st. To learn more about it, search for We the Students Do Not Consent on Facebook or Decolonize Ontario on Twitter. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.